warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hi, Scott here with me, Stephen. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm very well. It's officially the start of British summertime today. Now, I don't know what it's like up in York, but down here in Kent, it's not very summery at the moment. Uh, well, the, the sun is out a bit, yeah. um, but not enough to inspire the locals to do what they usually do when the sun is out, which mm-hmm. is to start sacrificing things to appease this ball of fire in the sky so um that's, that's coming that's, up in may isn't yeah, it yeah that's coming up yeah it's uh, it'll come sooner or later but yeah it's 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 brighter but um yeah it doesn't necessarily feel summer no no we were talking off air about the whole putting the clocks forward putting the clocks back a bit you know and I, I was saying it's, it's just it takes me a week to get over this one hour time difference i don't know why but it's probably gonna take me longer now i've turned 50 yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, you've got to change your clock and you know change it forward and back twice a year. And it's not the effort know, of that. It's, it's, just... it's, it's, it's then you're getting used to the fact that you know you've lost an hour's sleep and you're having yeah. to recover from it all. Oh. And seeing that it's not as not as dark on a night at a certain point <laughs> as what it used was the previous week and. Oh, it's so disorientating, it. Yes, um, from a man of my age. Yes, thank you. I was waiting for that last <laughs> bit. <laughs> Let's cheer ourselves up a bit. Let's talk about a movie about one of Britain's most notorious serial killers, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> Back after this. This is the number one court at London's Old Bailey. The case being tried here influenced the hanging laws of England. Timothy John Evans, the court has found you guilty of willful murder. And the sentence of the court... But what happens when you hang the wrong man on the evidence of a smooth-tongued liar whose pathological lust to kill shocked the world? you suffer death by hanging. 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 His name, John Christie. His address, 10 Rillington Place, London. West 11. Breathe. No, no, no. Breathe, Muriel. No. Take a deep breath and remember that what you see here really happened is factually based on official documents. You might well say, there but for the grace of God go I. Now then, now then, now then. 
we advise you to look at Christie closely. Very, very closely. For he lives again in the person of Richard Attenborough. Beryl! Another of his victims. Judy Jason takes you into this little back room, and you gasp for breath right alongside her. This was the beginning of this man's end. You knew all about it, didn't you? Well, of course I knew about it. You're an accessory before the act. I done nothing. Oh, God, I done nothing. Simple, innocent, bragging, Timothy John Evans, hanging. If ever an actor was born to step into a dead man's shoes, hanging. His name, John Hurt. If you don't know how to write your name, just put a cross. Get Christy. Get him here to see me. He's the only one who can help me now. If you saw him walking in the street, would you give him a second glance? Yet this man, Christie, killed. Not once, nor twice, neither three times, nor four times, but five, six, and seven times did he kill. It all happened here, at 10 Rillington Place. Fantastic. Incredible. But true. Christie done it. Christie done it. Christie done it. Tim Place, released in the UK on the 29th of January 1971. Directed by Richard Fleischer, starring Richard Attenborough, Judy Geeson, John Hurt, and a couple of other vaguely familiar faces dotted about that we'll probably get to as we as we chat about the movie. Based on a true story, Stephen, if you could give us the synopsis, please, mate. Well, it's the real-life story of a softly-spoken man, John Christie, whose quiet demeanour masks that he is, in fact, a sinister serial killer. (laughs) When a young couple and their baby move into the flat above, they fall into Christie's murderous web. How many times have you seen this? I've seen this, I think it's four times, maybe five. About the same for me, Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, the first time I watched it was, you know, one of these late night, sat on my own in the dark, um, not knowing what I was about to see. And I was younger then and probably feeling like I was a lot lot braver and a lot less aware of of what was going on and how bad the world out there was and the risks. And um, it's it's impacted on me more, I think, since then, each Mm. time watching it rather than less. Yeah, I think I said to you just before we we started chatting, this is fourth or fifth time for me, and this time round, the the performance by Richard Attenborough is is just something special. It's because he's playing against against type. It's not the Richard Attenborough that we're used to. It's not Richard Attenborough in Brighton Rock or even Jurassic Park. You know, it's 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 very sinister. Is perhaps he's certainly best. not playing um, a miracle. On a, <laughs> a miracle, miracle of Santa. Um, yeah, he's he is not this you know cuddly grandfather that he was known for in the later end of his career. Yeah. All the uh, 
sort of cheeky chappy of his earlier career. This was this was you know, a tour de force as far as his acting oh, yeah. going. I mean, you know, there's some great great performances all the way through from a lot of people. We'll get onto that. Yeah. But um, Attenborough, yeah, playing against a certain amount of tape and just being absolutely absorbing. Totally believable. Totally believable mm. his portrayal in this. There is a mini-series that came out last year, the year before, with Tim Roth playing the same Tim character. Roth, yeah, I oh. intended to try and watch that same before as. this mm. review, but unfortunately, time escaped mm. my uh, grasp. So I'll hopefully uh, we'll still watch it at some point. Yeah. But. I spoke I to. That's very good. Yeah, spoke to Tom, our friend Tom, on Facebook about it when he saw that you know we were talking about this today, and he said, "Oh, did you catch the the Tim Roth version?" I said, "No." Again, like you, I just ran out of time. So I think it's three three one hour episodes or something like that. Um, he said it's good. He said, but it's very slow, and and I got the impression that it goes into more detail than what we get here, crammed into an hour and forty minutes or whatever it is. Famously, the the book, the book, the film is based on the book by Ludovic Kennedy, I believe it was. Which, yes, which yes I, it was, yeah. Which I did read after the first time I watched the movie, so I was in my teens. So I haven't gone back to the book, um, and I'm quite tempted to get myself a copy and have another little look at it. So when you very first saw this movie, all those years ago, were you aware of John Christie? Were you aware of... Of the, the goings on no, in Rillington Place? No, I wasn't. I mean, I was, I was a lot less aware and educated about the world and about history and about um, particularly um, what had gone on in the past in, in Britain. Um, so I, it wasn't around my awareness. I was more aware of sort of popular stuff as far as, you know, the Beatles and things like that and yeah. mods and rockers and all that. It wasn't that I was so much aware of, of this type of thing and obviously not you know a lot more aware of every, you know everything now including this type of thing but at the time completely oblivious really um so i was aware that it was a true story because it tells you at the beginning exactly, a true yeah. story of of you know the serial killer john christie but i knew no details so as it unfolded i didn't already know the story um so that that was quite shocking yeah, well, I think I found fascinating from the outset when I was, say, a teenager watching this for the first time, is that serial killers have always been about. It wasn't just your John Wayne Gacy's or your Jeffrey Dahmer's or anything like that. This was going on during the war, you know, and, and for sort of ten years after. Yeah, Americans didn't invent serial killers, and no. I mean, I know we've got you know Jack the Ripper to point to, but yeah. it goes back, you know, centuries and centuries before then that if there are there's documentary evidence of, um, particularly in England and Germany, um, of people you know, doing serial killers. Obviously, it was a lot easier for people to, to get away with it back then and not be noticed because there wasn't the same forensic examination of crimes and et cetera. Yeah. Um, and they'd just pass it off as being, you know, a witch or something. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, this, this happened and it was, you know, around about, um, same time as other serial killings were going on in places like United States and things that were a lot more, maybe more flamboyant. But this, this is just quietly sinister, which in in some ways I think is is, is more worrying and I, do you know, more scary. A word that I was going to use is claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, 
it's called Ten Rillington Place. I think for a reason. All the the action, for want of a better word, takes place within a very small terraced house, and you get this oppressed tightness. You know, the, the cinematography. The director is Richard Fleischer, as we mentioned just a minute ago. This guy, right? Looking into this now was responsible for great big Hollywood blockbusters, right? We're talking, he was for some amazing stuff, yeah. You know, we're talking the Vikings with Tony Curtis and Kirk Douglas. Um, Tora, 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 the Pearl Harbor movie. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, Mr. Majestic. Yeah, well, that's the Charles Bronson one, isn't it? Charles there Bronson, we, yeah. And, and even right up to, you know, he died 10 years ago or so. But he directed the second Conan movie with Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. So this yeah, guy... He's, he's not he, known for your kitchen sinky drama type and he, things. And he did do a, a film, I think, about the Boston Strangler. Oh, was that the Tony Curtis one? Did he do that I as well? I think so, yeah. I think that was him. And But this is completely, like you say, it's completely different in tone and attention to what everything else he's done, really. Um, how, how he became attached to the project is, you know, baffling. I couldn't, you know... I, well, there's Perhaps no link, is there? Story, yeah. yeah, there's no link but, to say that Richard Fleisch is going to be your perfect director yeah. for this type of movie because, as I say, he was more known for your big cinema scope productions in Hollywood of the fifties and the sixties. Yeah, but, but it's it is very of... claustrophobic, like you say, and you can see how easily it would it is to do this as a play on yeah, stage because it's confined. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those that don't know the story, I mean, I've I've touched upon it in the the preamble before. And from what I can remember from reading the book, this is very faithful to the actual events as they happened. Obviously, with the very limited time frame here, it's focusing on the Timothy Evans side of things rather than the previous murders or the subsequent ones that happened. And I think that's a good way of actually dealing with this story because, you know, the massive miscarriage of justice that that took place... Um, and a Tower House performance from John Hurt as well in this case. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, them two acting off, you know, against each other, and or, you know, it's, it was just uh, amazing to see that that combination. The mm. Two of you. We, we get it. You know, we know plenty of films we could we could list where there's two fantastic actors just totally acting their socks off yeah. against each other, and we just go, that was it astounding mm. you know what what the actual film was is irrelevant that was just an astounding piece of work from both of them yeah. um just inhabiting the characters and both of them they did here um and um yeah it, it's it, it's it leaves you just amazed to be honest and when you see the their particularly the intense scenes between them which is not necessarily the volatile ones but the ones where they're just been quiet with each other in some respects. That's yeah. it's just John Hurt actually does a very very good job of portraying, without saying too much as you say. But we certainly know for a fact that he's illiterate. But you also yeah. get this element of him being a right um, a fantasist as well. You know, there's a scene in the pub where he's telling stories about he's going to be a managing director, and you know, he usually the very first time we meet him, he walks in to look at you know, the, the flat at Tenrillington Place. And he says, oh, you know, we've just moved out of a mansion gardens place or something, he says. And you can see that Judy Geeson is like, stop it, you're telling lies here. Without yeah, he, actually... mentions, he mentions about his, his father being an Italian count. Yeah. 
it's he a says, oh, well, Evans is a strange Italian name, isn't it? <laughs> um, and he says about having the, you know, he's saying in the, he's saying in the pub about there being um, not just his wife waiting in his bed, but another woman as, you know, I've got somebody else in there as well. And the guy's saying, what, the tax collector? <laughs> or, the, or, the, or the rent man sort of thing. He's not and, strictly um, lying, though, yeah, is he? Because, because no. Judy Geeson's mate is there. Yeah. And, and this, is but, the, um, this is the point yeah. where she tries to, to abort the baby, isn't it? Before she turns to to Richard Attenborough to, to help. Um, yeah. Frightening stuff. I mean, Christie was a, a police officer during the war. Which is special constable, yes. Yeah, which is sort of reflected at the beginning of the movie. We see him in his uniform, so he was quite a um, a respected member of the community. He was probably quite well known. The bit that confused me that I thought he owned the property, but then there's mention of a landlord. I'm not too sure if he was just managing the place, all the other rooms for the landlord. I thought he owned the property and he was the landlord. But there was there was mention of a landlord or something. At one no, point. yeah, the, like when the um, repairmen turn up, yeah, um, to do the, yeah, and he didn't. He's just about to do one of his foul deeds, mm. and um, he he answers the doors to them and and can't really be, rebuff them completely because the landlord has sent them to fix something he's been complaining about for a while. That's right. Um, yeah. So I don't know whether he was, at one point I did have the impression that he was bit more of a caretaker but i think that's yeah. maybe just the self-importance he applies to himself to make others in the actual house think that he's actually got some kind of authority over them yeah. um it's, rather yeah. than um anything that's been given i mean he, you know he, as he, he ends up you know leaving the property because he can't afford to be there yeah and you know that's that's paying the rent rather than paying a mortgage or anything on it so um it is it, it does show that even he is, has got aspirations above what he has and is lying, but he's lying, you know, saying about the, the fact that he trained as a doctor and, um, you know, making more of the thing that he did in the police and all these kind of things. That is him lying yeah. and giving himself um, a, a, a fake story in the same way that John Hurt's character does, but for a completely different reason. Yeah, it's almost as um, not an alibi as such, but it's it's building a profile of himself for potential victims to put them at ease, isn't it? Basically, that's what it's, it is. It's all part of the confidence building, um, and it's 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 what he does repeatedly. You see him during the film where he's referencing, you know, the clever people he worked with and how he picked things up for them, and sort of demurring that well, because um, yes, it would be very expensive if they did that, but. Uh, although I know how to do it, uh, well, I suppose I could. And, you know, and that all says, well, that's what we, we in the um, profession, he often said, he's, he's been you know, he's right. heard often saying, we in the profession, and, oh, it's a secret. I can't quite divulge it outside, outside of those that are in the know sort of thing and, and all that kind of thing. He's, it's, it's all part of his, his um, confidence trickery, really, to beguile people. Well, what I like as well is, he's recognised the fact that Timothy Evans is illiterate. And at one point he's reading what he describes as a medical textbook. Yes, and he, the St. John's Ambulance Handbook. It's just a first aid guide, isn't it, basically? A little yeah. pamphlet. And he shows it to John Hurt and he's like, well, I, I can't see what that's all about. But he must recognise it as, you know, there's probably those little 
black and white illustrations of people being, you know, CPR or resuscitation or something like that. Yeah. And to, to John Hurt's eyes, that is a, a marvellous medical textbook. So he's very clever. He picks up on the weaknesses of all the other characters. Well, uh, it's, it's also a lot of the time turning it around mm. on on the people themselves, you know, going, well, if you'd come to me earlier. Yeah. And so then it becomes their fault because they didn't, they didn't act quick enough and that he's then not got responsibility for how dangerous it was. It's their fault for, for not acting sooner and stuff. It's, it is very, you know, it shows how devious and, and clever he, he was in that respect. How aware was his wife of what was going on, do you reckon? I think um, she was... Um, she was. I think she was aware a lot more than um, was ever shown or known. Yeah, I think I so. Think that, you, you I get, mean, there's mm, there's a there's, bit when when they first turn up, when Judy Gason and John Hurt first turn up, and she says, "I'll take the baby." I think there's a look of horror almost on her face, very subtly done. That she's thinking, "Oh God, it's another pretty one moving in," sort of thing. You could see the way her brain sort of working. In that respect, it's like oh god, well, you know. Yeah, there's there's bits where you know she's she's he gets up and makes noise and is going to do things and in the night and mm. there must have been some times when she was aware that he had got up, but even if she was a you know really heavy sleeper, there was other times. I think there's one bit where where it shows her sat with a worried look on her face and there's the window behind her to the garden. He's dragging the bodies out to the the outhouse. And she's obviously aware that he's doing that because she there's a, a loud crash or something over that he does, and she sort of her facial expressions shows a, a tick because she's obviously heard. Yeah. So she was obviously aware at that point, um, but wasn't actually saying anything. I mean, she later on in the film, obviously we we're aware that she does start to act upon her suspicions. Well, when but, she leaves, doesn't she? Um, she says she's going to move out, stay with family. And he sort of begs her, you know, don't leave me, don't. But she then implies that he should be the one that's in prison. She actually says something yeah. like that, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. So obviously leads to her murder. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think it's he says, uh, you know, about not being able to work. Um, she says, oh, we've got no money, we can't mm. survive, and all this kind of stuff. And he says, oh, well, I can't work. I, I should be in hospital. And she says, well, I, I know where you should be. There you go. That's it. So she she knows whether this has all come out, you know, in the two years that have elapsed since the trial, because that is sort of two years later. It's, again, very subtly done, and it's all done within the confines of a kitchen. Like that, that kitchen is so crammed, but you get this sense of claustrophobia, as we say, and it just makes it an uneasy watch, because it's not a gory film. It was made in 71, so we're at the point in sort of movie-making history where things can be shown a little bit more implied the barriers are open it's probably an x-rated movie at the time but it's not blatant it's not explicit and that makes it even more sinister i keep saying the word sinister because that's what this whole film and it's not just a performance yeah i think the taboo was less over the actual killing and more over things like um the necrophilia the death death penalty and abortion (laughs) yeah It's, it's it's just an incredible story like i say that we we are used to modern day serial killers, and here's one that's been, you know, going on for ten years throughout the forties and the fifties, in an everyday sort of situation. This was commonplace, you know, this renting out of rooms, especially in that part of Notting Hill. 
and it was right under the noses of, as I say, he was probably quite a well-respected member of the community. He was probably certainly well-known. And and he's got this sort of reputation for, for helping people. Because we, we meet the first the first of his victims. Well, she's probably, she's probably the second, isn't she? Because there's already a body buried in the garden when we first get yes. introduced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, this, the dog takes an interest in. But, um, <coughs> yeah, the, he's... You know, he's built up this facade of being a respectable person, despite the fact that obviously his previous criminal career, which his wife must have been aware of, mm. um, with fraud and um, violence, is is there revealed in court at later stages. But the um, I think it's interesting that when things do get to court, it's a, it's not covering. John Christie been the well, Reg been covered in in court. His his trial it, it doesn't show that bit because you know it it's, it was the John Hurt character been in court that was the important bit. Yes. That that's just left off for time's sake. Um, but I, it, it is like you say, it's claustrophobic and it's very cramped, and it doesn't help that the the walls are all dark and. The windows are all sort of tiny and dirty, and the fact that they have recreated the interior so well. I mean, it was actually filmed on location, wasn't it, actually, in the house? Yeah, because it was um, pulled down literally, I think, a year or two after the filming completed. Because it highlighted, obviously, brought back people's memories of what had happened 20, 30 years previously. Um, They did it for... You know, to to keep the ghouls away, basically. You know, I believe the street has been renamed. There's two streets there now, um, and in between two houses, where number ten actually stood, there's a garden. What they've done, they haven't actually built a house on the site. They've they've left a gap between the terraces and built a garden there, which is what I think they did with Gloucester Road with Fred and Rose West, wasn't it? I think they just yeah, completely flattened so, yeah. it yeah. and made a memorial garden. But yeah, it's incredible because that 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 just adds to the sense of realism that it was filmed in the actual location, and you can see those those sort of houses don't really exist so much now in London, apart from the more expensive townhouses. That was just it was a slum, you know. It was it was all pulled down post war that type of property. Yeah, but if it, even if it existed in London, even in the condition it was there, they'd still be charging about three grand a week. Oh God, yeah, of course they would. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be what we were talking about when we we're reviewing High Hopes, you know, where the council properties are all being gentrified and taken over by by the new rich. Um, I like this film, despite its very very dark subject matter. There's a fascination, isn't there, with serial killers and serial killer movies? I don't know why we we get drawn to them. The dark psyche of humanity and the the possibilities of people. It's having horrors out there as far as you know, there being um, vampires or goblins or ghosts or all these kind of things that can be out there, or, or various creatures and aliens and things. Mm. That's all fantasy, but the to actually realise that the real threat and the real scary thing is actually inside people's heads it could be the person you sat next to on the tube yeah. um that's the, the the real scary thing to think that anybody that you happen to sit down next to or you work with could be a, a massive serial killer you just don't <laughs> know it yet 
know, you could be, and I just don't know it yet. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, I'd be surprised if you had the time. But yeah, when would I find the time right. to murder people? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if the podcast start to drop off, I'll know that, um, <laughs> that you've been up to no good again. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, you've yeah. been up to no good. It but, has... um, but yeah, it's, it's an astounding film that does, it's, it's very simple and, um, it's it's not got bells and whistles on it. It's very in, intently concentrated on the dialogue and the acting, and the story doesn't doesn't drag for me at all. No. It's it's there's not you know the the speed at which things happen. I just I'm just finding it gripping. I like the fact that it doesn't focus, as we say, on previous murders or too much on what he did actually get up to. It focuses on the the human side story of of. The John Hurt character, I love yeah, that part of it. It does, yeah. It gives gives an inkling with the first item, yeah. you know, of somebody dying, and then there's one after as yeah. well. Just 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 to let you know, yes, this wasn't an isolated incident. Yeah, it wasn't he a was one actually off. at it. Yeah, at it. You know, it, it didn't start with them and he didn't stop with them. But it's quite rightly, it's the the miscarriage of justice with um, the John Hurt character. It's the um, the tragedy of of how his wife was completely um in, she found it impossible to actually you know even if, even if she was was more aware than was let on she was impossible for her to really do anything about it yeah and um you know he was so convincing with it he did much actually managed to get somebody else hanged for his crimes even though eventually things caught up but that's that's the whole tragedy of it. It's not just that people died um, at his own hands directly, but other people then suffered as a result of it. We get, um, yeah, in, in, in him getting away with it. We get an idea, don't we, of, of just how well. He's, he's quite calm. He's quite cool. He's quite collected throughout the whole thing. It's, it's he doesn't panic, you know, when things go wrong. Well, things don't go wrong, do they? But it's it, it, it's totally exactly what he wants to happen he wants to murder these people he wants to he's a necrophiliac at the end of the day as well and and we don't actually see to any degree i mean when i was doing a bit of research into the real true story he was digging in the garden one day this is a typical sort of john christie story and he found one of the leg bones of one of his previous victims like a femur oh yes and you can imagine a femur is about probably about three foot long quite a quite a hefty bone and he didn't hide it. He didn't rebury it. What he did, there was a rickety piece of fencing at the back of his garden, like a trellis. And he used it. He used the bone to prop up the trellis. Right. This is a fascinating story. And it stood there for seven years. This leg bone. And even at the time when the police came and searched his property for um, the baby and Beryl, Beryl Evans, he never tried to move it or hide it. And it wasn't found until much later. Well, it's it's indicative of him as a person. It's hiding in plain sight. Yeah, and, and and Richard Attenborough actually does that. That's the part of the Christie character that Richard Attenborough does so well, is the fact that he's totally open about what he's what he does. To, to, well, he's pretending to be a backstreet abortionist, but he's totally it's a matter of fact kind of thing because he plays up on the so-called medical experience that he's had. You know, he doesn't make a fact of. Oh, this is you know, I shouldn't be doing. Well, he does, doesn't he? he? Sort of says I shouldn't be doing this, but as it's you, 
I'm here to help. I can do this for you. Um, what does he use? It's town gas, isn't it? It's the actual gas from yeah. the cooker he uses. To, this, yeah. Yeah. Incredible, incredible story. You know, it's quite quite a lot of thought has gone into what he actually does. He's, he's, yeah, he's, perfe- he's perfected a method. Yeah. You know, that's that's the, the coldness of it. It's It's not somebody who is going out there and finding random people and, you know, stabbing them in a frenzy and then mm. sort of running and hiding away. Yeah. It's it's the cold, calculating way that it's actually done. And he's quite prepared but, to wait a couple of years between murders. You get the impression that, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he hasn't got this this appetite that needs to be satiated. You know, he needs doesn't need a constant stream of victims, as you say. It's like, okay, oh, this one will do, or... You know, six months later, somebody else comes to him. Kind of opportunistic, really, yeah. in a way. Incredible story. And incredibly well acted as well, as you say. I mean, um, Attenborough we've covered, and you know, now he's in the Village Hall of Fame. He is now, yeah. Um, and John Hurt is first appearance, but I don't imagine it will be too long before. He'll be uh, there, yeah. Judy Geeson's second, I think. Judy Geeson's second appearance, yeah. And I think Andre uh, Morel, who played the judge, this might be his second as well, I think. I, I, he looks familiar, so I think that's the case, yes. Yeah. Um, um, and there was a few other people in there that you sort of go, I'm sure they're in other things, and I don't Ru- necessarily... Rudolph Walker. Rudolph, was, it, was he? Rudolph Walker playing the West Indian guy. Yes, I rec- yeah, I recognised him, but I wasn't sure he'd right. been in anything that we'd already. I don't had. think he's been in anything that we. But he will be. But he will be because Rudolph Walker's more famous for Love Thy Neighbour, isn't he? Or more recently, yeah. EastEnders. Uh, Tanil Evans is in there. I don't know if we've had Tanil Evans before. He was possibly more famous for things like the Navy Lark on the radio. No, I can't see anything that we've done with Tanil Evans. Um, but as you say, John Hurt will crop up eventually. Richard Fleischer may do if there's a couple of other British movies, but there's not many British movies that Richard Fleischer... He didn't do many no. British ones, no, I did notice that. But, yeah, I mean, Richard Attenborough, not, that's probably one of the few exceptions to our thing about um, the big the big names getting in there early. Um, you He's know, him probably... and Michael Caine are two of the exceptions to that, that yeah. the big names actually have got in there early. Mm. Um, yeah, so, but... Um... Who else have we got? Robert Hardy. Very young Robert Hardy was there. Robert Hardy, yes, I noticed yeah. him as, as the barrister, yeah. Um and, and character actor Sam Kidd briefly was in there, the furniture dealer. Um oh, yes. who was in everything. Funny enough, he was in the Lady Killers, talking about <laughs> common ground there. Um <laughs> I'm all right, Jack Passport of Pimlico. You know he was everything, cruel scene. Yeah, before See, long, I mean he yeah, should he should be in there now, thinking about it. Look at this. Has he done enough no, or is he on the cusp? No. But when you look at what he was in, listen to this, right? You've got the lady killers, the hand of the Baskervilles with Peter Cushing, right? Passport to Pimlico, I'm alright, Jack, the cruel sea, sink the Bismarck, Scott of the Antarctic, you name it, reach for the sky, Angels one five. He was in Everything, but why hasn't he appeared yet? We've we've he's just skirted around him. We've just well, he'll be there soon, I'm sure. Yeah, and he will um, be one of those ones that we say is is not the, you know, the front runners. He he will be the the background actor that's going to end up no. with five or six appearances for us. So yeah, it will be. But there was you know there there was fine performances outside the the three principal characters. As I say, Christie's wife, um, for all, what she had to do as far as the part. I think, you know, Mm. like you say, there's the subtle emotions Mm. that she's conveying with facial expressions. She didn't have a lot to to do, but what she did, 
which did well, um, you know, and the the Welsh family and things. So I think that there's there's a lot, you know, there's a quality abound in this, but you know, definitely the two star turns in this as far as the performances go, um, definitely Attenborough and her who just astound and show why they had the reputation they had as great actors. Yeah, uh, I think with Richard Attenborough, as we mentioned, he's playing against type here. And it's it's almost like the Anthony Hopkins moment in Silence of the Lambs, you know, where suddenly, as, as this actor's getting older, you know, he's done all the action movies, he's done the romantic leads or whatever he may have done in, you know, not so much romantic leads for Richard Attenborough, but, you know, he's, he's, he's done his working career over the past 30-odd years. And then he's given something to sink his teeth into which is a serial killer. Now, the same thing happened with Anthony Hopkins, and it rejuvenated his career, made him into an Oscar-winning star. I think with Richard Attenborough, it's sort of... Round about this sort of time, he started directing towards the late 70s. But he then just carried on doing certain other little movies that he probably wouldn't have been known to do previously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just it gets to that point in his career where he's like, yeah, I'm going to try this, I'm going to... I have a little go of, of something a little bit different. I mean, I'm trying to work out what he did after Tim Rillington Place. We know, like, famously, like we said, the Miracle on 34 Streets and the, and the Jurassic Parks. Parks. But then he directed Gandhi and um, didn't he, he directed Magic, didn't he, with Anthony Hopkins, if I remember rightly, in the late 70s. He, he was director of that. It's just Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that was. I think that might have been his first, first directed movie. I'm just having a little look on IMDb. Okay, this was 1971. And then after that, there's a couple of Agatha Christie's. He was in a John Wayne movie, Brannigan. Bridge Too Far. You know, everybody was in a Bridge Too Far. And and it's not until the 90s that he sort of makes an acting comeback. There's, it's very sporadic between, between this and Jurassic Park. Very sporadic acting career. So he probably focusing more on the directing. I yeah, I mean, he, he took most of the 80s off as far as acting goes. Yeah, there's nothing there, is there? Um, and as for directing, here we go. Right. His directing debut was Oh, What a Lovely War, 1969. And then, oh, we directed A Bridge Too Far. Forgot that. There we go. Magic, Gandhi, Chorus Line, Cry Freedom, Chaplin, Shadowlands. Oh, Cry Freedom, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's that's quite a an eclectic lineup of. We said about Richard Fleischer being known for Hollywood movies and then doing something like this. You look at this. You've got Oh What a Lovely War, but then you've got the big blockbuster Bridge Too Far as well, and then you've got the quiet, dramatic Shadowlands and stuff like that. So interesting character deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Should have been there a bit Absolutely. earlier, but yeah, he's one of the ones that has crept in. It was one of the first names I thought would have been in there, along with, like we always say, John Mills or Margaret Rutherford or someone like that. I love the movie. It's a five-star movie for me. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's one that, as I've said before, the, there are the exceptions to people who the subject matter doesn't actually appeal yeah. to, and they won't then want to go see it. But anybody else should, should make a point of seeing this for, for its historical context as well mm. as the actual quality of the film. Because um, this, you know, obviously the case itself with the miscarriage of justice and the effect of that upon views on um, abortion and on um, the death penalty. It was, it um, was that, yeah. that's very important. But the film itself is such an astounding quality with the the acting and the way it's 
um, done in its very bare bones filming. There's a griminess uh, to it, it, isn't there? Yeah, mm. it needs to be. It, that starkness, in a way, that and that claustrophobia, as you put it, mm. that that needs to be seen, and um, it it might be unsettling for some people, but. That's what it's meant to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, so. it's certainly set set out. Well, you know, achieve what it's set out. So, uh, I'd highly recommended. You know, as we yes. say, as a masterclass in acting from all concerned. Even Judy Geeson, who we tend to associate more with sort of, she was in Carry On films and stuff like that. But she proved that she can act in this movie yeah. as well. We didn't mention her so much, but uh, she did. Yeah. So people should should look this out in my opinion absolutely fantastic right let's take a short break we'll be back with what we're watching next time Stephen, do you remember our conversation about James Mason uh, during, oh, yes. during Georgie Girl last time? And you were saying, I think you mentioned something about the accent he uses in Georgie Girl. He's, he's strictly speaking quite his own, isn't it? The, the, he, closer to, yeah, to where he, grew up, where he was born, yes. But usually we associate James Mason with that, oh, hello, you know, that real posh, eloquent, sort of voice that, of, of typical James Mason that Eddie Izzard does a much better impression of than I have just done. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm going to do, we're going to go back to a James Mason movie and he has got that voice. This is the more the James Mason that we know. Sort of the voice that was in North by Northwest, you know, when he was in the Hitchcock movie. Yes. We're going back to, I'm going to say 1945, but it says on IMDb it was released in January 1946. So, 45, 46. And just to alleviate the claustrophobia and the and the darkness of the John Christie movie, we're, we're going to quite a famous UK studio, which was Gainsborough. Right, everybody talks. Oh about, yes. yeah, everybody yeah. talks about Ealing, and they're famous for the comedies. Gainsborough were more famous for the melodramas. There's a set of about eight or nine what they call melodramas, and it's it's all sort of. Plunging cleavages and, and powdered wigs time. We're, we're going right back to 1945. We're going to go to talk about James Mason and Margaret Lockwood in The Wicked Lady. Right. Um, I know of it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> the, the first thing that will probably come to mind is about a highwayman and you know that, that sort of era. You'll be thinking of the Black Adder episode. Of the high women with young Bob as soon as you see it. Bob. Yeah. Bob. <laughs> yes. I haven't seen it for oh 30, 40 years. And, and to be honest, I don't know if I've seen it all. I just wanted something that was a change of tone to the, you know, the oppression that we've just <laughs> the oppressive atmosphere that we've just been speaking about. So let's have a bit more James Mason. A bit of a historical drama. As I say, all powdered wigs and and bustles and stuff like that so lovely absolutely that'll be uh something i can look forward to because as i say i've not not seen it before um but it'll be as an early james mason it'll be uh interesting to to contrast with you know georgie girl and yeah um, yeah so yes this will be good and to any of the listeners out there that 
haven't seen it and might want to watch it before we talk about it, it is on YouTube at the moment, which is which is quite handy. So, okay, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Stephen, thank you very much, sir. Marvelous episode today. Thank you. No, my pleasure, and um, I'm glad we both appreciated the film so much. Yeah, great movie. See you soon, mate. Bye bye. Take care. Absolute shower. A positive shower. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.